This is a big week for me. InKind's official birthday was January 21st, and today is my birthday, the 24th. So I want to celebrate by looking back at a couple of monumental things that I learned over the last year, and then share one thing I want to try more of in 2021. But first, a thank you. To all of you who have helped me bring InKind into the world and continue to help me evolve it, you know who you are. You're my friends, my family, my coach, who I consult ad nauseum about content. Um, How vulnerable should I be? How is my editing improving? And then to listeners who continue to write me about episodes that moved them or how they've made letting go of things a practice. I have overwhelming gratitude. And I want you to know that I'm soaking it up and I'm using every ounce of your feedback to help keep changing and growing in kind. I can't wait for who I'll meet and who will all meet together this year because I have so many great things planned for us. All right, so two takeaways and one area to work on. Thought one, change your self-talk and change your life. Talk about a zinger to learn at age 50. One of the most damaging pieces of self-talk that I let run on replay for decades was asking why. Why absolutely held me in its grips for years? Why can't I stick with this idea or routine that I want to pursue? Why does tech stuff always shit on me? Why don't I finish things? And I learned this year to stop myself dead every time I ask why and replace it with how. So what did this do for me? I got to tell you, it's been everything. My best friend, Karen, my poor best friend, Karen, had been trying to stop me from ruminating for years, explicitly telling me that all the energy I was spending on that ineffectual question why was eating up any energy I had to actually do or try the thing I was trying to achieve. Rationally, of course, I knew she was 100% right, but nothing was changing because I didn't have replacement language. So last year, my coach sent me Marie Forleo's book, Everything is Figureoutable, and we spent a couple of sessions, yes, it only took a couple of sessions, practicing eradicating why and reframing it, calling it what it is, which in my opinion is a manipulative energy sucker, and reframing it to how. So why is a great question for me as a researcher. I actually live for the why in that context but it is almost never useful when the context is accomplishing or learning something that's totally new to you. It is the quicksand that'll take you down in seconds if you linger too long in it. And a few months after liberating myself from why, I had Dr. Shad Helmstetter on the show, who is uh, the father of self-talk, and he really hammered home the importance of replacement language. He taught me that becoming aware of the hurtful words and phrases is always only going to be step one. Change will not happen without helpful new words and phrases at the ready or without regular practice. So I'm giving that lesson to you here and now. If you're a ruminator asking why or shooting all over yourself for not doing fill in the blank, recognize that language and immediately replace it with how. And then Let the how start with tiny, minuscule steps. Let me give you an example of how I started to very quickly change this, but it started with a seemingly almost like unassuming word replacement. So a mantra 
that me and my coach use when I still encounter overwhelm and I'm at risk for starting to ruminate all my energy right out the door is this, go to the closet and take the recorder out. So I'm gonna tell you what this was. This used to be an actual how step that I had last year when I was terrified to learn audio production. So she would tell me, hey, between this week's session and next week's session, all I want you to do is go to the closet, open it, take the recorder out. I didn't have to turn it on. I didn't have to mess with any of the controls. I didn't have to actually record something. All I had to do was take it out of the closet. So yes, this simple word-for-word replacement in learning your new self-talk language It's small, it's a tiny step, it's just going to the closet and taking the recorder out, but it can and will, I promise you, create seismic shifts in your actions and attitude. And allowing those actions to be tiny but mighty are the gateway to these small wins, which quickly add up and stack up and they become mountains that you move, mindsets and beliefs that you get out of your way. And when snags hit, because you know they're going to, you got the recipe. You just keep asking how, why to how, why to how. Immediately, it's like a trigger. You hear why, you say how to yourself. How can I find the answer? How can I use my resources? How can I solve the next piece of this puzzle without worrying about the whole puzzle? The whole puzzle doesn't matter right now. What matters is piece one, opening the closet. Replacement language allows for energy transfer. And if you're just learning helpful self-talk vocabulary, Why to how can be a hugely impactful first lesson. Using that alone, in 2020, I made humongous shifts in mindset and thus my behavior in a few areas of my life that had been needling me for decades. Forgiveness, problem solving, being a beginner, grit. I developed new relationships to money, my body, technology, systems, routines. I found flow. The kind, yes, where if you don't think this is true, it really is a thing where you sit down in the morning. um, In my case, it's within kind. And I don't get up until it's dark and I haven't gone to the bathroom. I forgot about food and time. And at the root of most of that change was a self-talk overhaul. If I really got down to reducing how that happened and why that happened, it was because I've learned to switch from why to how which then allows me to identify and head straight for problems and snags instead of avoiding them and working myself into some kind of huge frenzy. This felt like a reckoning at 50, I'm telling you. And I'm trying to teach and model all of it for my daughter at 15 so that she has many more decades and years to practice and hone her methods the way that she figures out how to do it. I hope you also get started chipping away at those beliefs that don't serve you well, that language that doesn't serve you well. Which brings me to thought number two. In kind is an incredible exercise in vulnerability and growth. And you all hear it raw every week from me. You learn a lot about me. I'm pretty transparent here on the show and it's because I need to practice what I preach. Every guest has taught me things. Every expert, of course, too and many, many listeners in the feedback that I've received. I never could have imagined that in-kind would hold the reciprocal growth or be the vehicle that it is. I just could not have foreseen that. And at times, I'll admit, it's really uncomfortable. It challenges me. 
but it's been such a help to have the consistency of doing it because that is what makes it a practice for me as well. It means that I will always be practicing what I preach because I'm learning and doing and growing right along with my guests who are having the courage to come on and let go of things. So one major supportive push I got in 2020 was the courage to start doing these episodes, to add three thoughts biweekly to the show. And I'll tell you, this was a struggle because I was not sure that listeners would get anything out of 30 minutes of me saying, hey, this is what I'm thinking about and trying and experimenting with and experiencing. But I was very wrong. Thanks to my coach, my friends, and others, they started asking me questions about empathy, self-talk, everyday life, things that I knew I could answer and give tools and resources and things to try. So I figured I'd give it a shot. It's early days. And a few things that came out of it thus far have sent me over the moon with happiness that they've been helping others. George. I'm going to start with him. Uh, I, how much time do I have? I, it's really hard to be concise about what I continue to learn from George, a death row inmate who came on the show. He's in his 30s. He describes his, his demeanor as feeling glittery inside because he has found joy over happiness. And before meeting him, I will admit that I lacked empathy for people who spoke about God or religion or faith as sort of their lens, mainly because I assumed that their values and life trajectory were too different from mine. How could we possibly understand each other? Wrong again. If you haven't read George's essay, The Joy Paradox yet, and what I'm saying right now is speaking to you, go to the transcript in episode 20 and check it out. We've discovered that the way that we think about life is incredibly similar. Happiness is a temporary state that will always elude us if it's what we strive for as a constant. It can never be that because it's based on circumstances. Whereas joy, which I had never called it that, uh, learned this from George, is an eternal state because it's, it's based on something more solid. It's based on beliefs. And beliefs are less apt to change than circumstances. George talks about all of this through the lens of God and Jesus. I mean, these are two figures I don't have a relationship with in my life. But for the first time, I was able to understand that the lens isn't important. The values, the motivations, and the actions are. And George and I continue our relationship, which I think exemplifies the mission of in-kind to to raise issues to a species level and to demonstrate that no matter our circumstances, our culture, location, constraints, we are all far more similar than we are different. He and I took the most different paths. We used the most different resources, but we are arriving at a very similar place in our humanity. And that to me is eloquence to the highest power. Patrick. Patrick is a 20-something man who came on the show to release an embarrassing life moment that he'd been harboring assumptions about for years. And afterward, he told me that he now seeks out those skeletons and leans into his scary edges. He taught me that release is a practice. It's not just the giant jaw-dropper skeletons we all have that need letting go of. It's, again, theme today, tiny but mighty, like 
in my case, refusing to believe and tell myself that I'm not a systems person. It seems inconsequential when you compare it with big things like not being able to tell someone sorry or I love you or thank you before they died. But these small acts of letting go of beliefs, I'm not a systems person, add up and become part of my evolution, who I am becoming. I'm letting go of attitudes, beliefs, and then behaviors or avoidances as a practice. And Patrick really taught me about doing these things, big and small, as a practice. Minnie. Minnie taught me how to talk about in kind, how to define what it does, what it offers, why it exists. She came on to let go of guilt about not being able to establish a good relationship with her mother before she passed. She read poignant excerpts from a letter she wrote to her mom, attempting to tell her how she'd felt as a child growing up with a mom who didn't seem like she wanted to be a mom. Afterwards, she sent me a note saying uh, this, and I'll quote it. I want to share that I really didn't expect to benefit from recording the podcast. I thought it would help others. I have to tell you how I felt deeply heard and seen. I have friends who hear me and see me, but I don't know that any of them know as much specifically about my childhood as do you now. Those specifics matter. It was eye-opening to recall how I felt when I wrote that letter and to realize how far I've traveled. That encourages and uplifts me. Oh, I have to say, if I had to stop producing In Kind tomorrow, this would be enough for me. Minnie represents hundreds of thousands of people, and she helped me crystallize what the power of release is about, and she motivates me to keep helping people do it, including myself. Listeners, of course, fuel me too. Some of the things that I hear that keep me on this path are, this episode made me think about and reflect on my own life, or I know I'm not the only one who did, said, or felt this, or I read the book, I tried the forgiveness meditation. I did the I am becoming exercise. I started changing my self-talk. I wrote the letter to my brother. And in my own case, I forgave my husband. I started seeking out conversations about God and religion. I made a vision board. I said I would never do that. (laughs) I employed mantras. I experienced flow for the first time, just to name a few. So much learning took place. It's I can't fit it all in here, but those are some of the memorable ones. Thought three is one thing I wanted to share that I'm experimenting with more in 2021, and it's letting go of time. So what do I mean by this? I mean, allowing myself to know or look at what time it is, but not living the day based on it. How do I do it specifically? It starts the night before. I pick a day where I don't have to do anything at an exact time. And you may be surprised at how often that can occur. So first, uh, on the night before, I do not set an alarm to wake up. Then when I get up, I take a glance at what's on tap. Uh, For me, I look in my iPhone, uh, my calendar. That's where I keep everything. And I do what I feel like doing at the moment. That could be reading, uh, walking, meditating, writing for in-kind, hiking with the dogs, cooking. Whereas you know, most other mornings, I would be doing my exact routine of, you know, making coffee, letting the dogs out, meditating, going to the gym, because those are just the things that I do first thing in the morning. I may not necessarily do those things 
on my time-free day. You may or may not break routine because you're listening to your body and your mind and you're letting it sort of call you to things. I know it sounds a little abstract, but that's the best way to describe it. I've done this three times so far, and each time I've been kind of weirdly shocked at how it immediately regulates things like eating and moving and connecting with people and resting because I'm doing them with my body, not according to an arbitrary number that someone has decided is lunchtime and also the midpoint of my day. I found that going all out airplane mode and restricting things like you can't look at a clock or you can't look at a phone or messages was not helpful and not what this was about. It was based more around a lack of agenda. I have some stories and beliefs about myself as uh, that I'm a morning person and I'm not a night person. And what I found was when I do these time-free days, I seem to not feel the proverbial punctuation marks. So I find I'm up late doing productive things and I'm sleeping well past 6 a.m. Who knew? So I can't figure out why yet it feels so liberating. And I'm trying not to ask per our previous conversation, why? Because it doesn't matter why. It's in sharp contrast to the planning that I do every night for the next day to come. I plan tasks and I schedule them into my calendar. And that routine of scheduling the night before has immensely freed me from mental chaos and overwhelm because when I know what's up first thing in the morning, I don't have decisions to make. And that sets my day right and I don't have to think about it. I just start because I know where to start. But this is a different breed of don't have to think about it. It's more a just have to feel it, if that makes sense. Now, when interruptions come on your time-free days, because they most certainly will, so uh, a call, a text, um, my daughter needs a ride somewhere. Thus far, I've only done it a few times, handful of times, but I've been able to quickly size the urgency and the scope of that task and either decide to do it or decline it and get back to the joyful, amorphous day that I was having. It feels kind of like how I feel after meditation and that it lasts all day long. It's that kind of afterglow of meditation because it's almost like intentional lack of intention. I suspect everybody would try this and do this differently, but for me, I do think two things were key to to them being successful all three times so far is that I'm not attaching constraints to it. I can still look at clocks. I can still be in communication with, with people. I can act on things and not view them as disruptions and then focus on listening to my body and following its instructions as opposed to the agricultural clock. <laughs> so, so far, I'm doing it every couple of weeks it seems, and over the year, I'd like to experiment with one day a week like this, uh, maybe Sundays, because that's the day that most lends itself to to time-free for me. But I hope that there's no need for you to relegate it to a vacation or maybe even to the weekend. It depends on what your work and family life looks like. But I'd love to hear how this goes if you make it a practice, and I will be doing the same. So I'll close this anniversary slash B-Day by saying how infinitely proud I am of in-kind. It's 100% like a second child to me. Born last year, she's walking now. 
And I get the indescribable pleasure of reciprocal learning that a parent-child relationship brings. In kind does so many things for me and it makes me giddy, makes me challenged, energized, and protective. And all of those things are things I feel as a parent as well. It provokes joy, self-doubt, pride, fear. I have so much to bring you and so much to learn this year. And let me just say again, as we roll into the second month of 2021, all my gratitude for you. Thank you for listening. Hey, one more thing before you go. If you or someone you know is ready to let go of something, let's make it happen. Set up an introductory call with me at inkind.buzzsprout, that's B-U-Z-Z sprout.com. To listen, just search for Inkind on your favorite podcast player 